Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Spinning the Reel. I am your host, Evan. And that other guy on the other side of the screen, it's Cody Gaz. What's going on? They, nobody can see the screen, Cody. They don't know That's what right. side of the screen either this is on, and you don't even have a camera. That's true. I don't want you to see my face. The last time and we tried to do I'm some camera work, it, it was very unproductive. Hey, we have an hour... We can we can release an hour long footage. Gold. Just yeah, it's gold, guys. Mint. All right, Cody promises he's gonna clip some of that out and release to you our uh, deleted video episode that we tried to do. Yes, but we will be on it. We've talked it out. We've discussed it. So we we're hoping come March, end of March, got a little bit of video content coming your way, boys and girls. So exactly, but that's not the point right now. The point right now is that we have the Oscars coming up, Cody. So our our next two episodes are going to be very Oscar-centric. Normally, we do this at the end, saying what the future is going to be, but it's pertinent to this episode. So next week, we're probably going to do Raya and the Last Dragon. We've got a a watch party going on Friday for that. So we'll talk about how that that goes. And uh, we're going to do some Oscars uh, nomination prediction. So we're going to predict the nominees and see who gets the most right. And then uh, between that episode and the following one, the actual nominations will get announced. So that following episode, we can uh, grade ourselves. And then from there, we can actually talk about the nominees. The I'll have a big piece dropping on the website about... Uh, I feel like I'm the in favorites, school. The dark horses, you know, we're, we're going to have... It's going to be big. We're going to have a, a lot of fun these next couple of weeks. Yeah, I feel like I'm in school all over again. You grade me on all my plot descriptions. You grading <laughs> me on all this stuff with the Oscar picks. You writing essays left and right. Well, in this case, just reviews. I've written feel more like essays. For this fucking podcast than I did in my entire school career, Cody. <laughs> okay, kudos, kudos to you, man. But uh, yeah, uh, I guess to jump into this episode we will be having to play a little bit of catch up at least particularly me mm-hmm. uh i do not see movies as early as evan these, decides to both of these movies to. i've seen for the second and i think third time respectively yeah this so, podcast. so minari finally dropped video on demand so we're going to be starting with that one uh i ended up paying for that and checking it out and then gonna play a little game got a game i don't think evan was even expecting i, I wasn't even aware yeah, so it's going to be called Evan's Five Course Movie Knowledge. And uh, let's we'll leave it for the game segment there. I'm going to feast. <laughs> uh, and that breaks up the monotony before we get into the second film, which was released on Hulu, uh, Nomadland. And Evan also, Indeed. has, like you said, mentioned, seen that already as well. But Yeah, I've talked about both of these on the uh, top 10 episode that we did. So you know you're in for, uh, for a treat here with uh, good movies to come. Yes. Well, with that, let's uh, let's get to the catch up. All right, Cody, first off the bat here, we're going to start with a movie you watched second. Uh, this is Minari, directed by Lee Isaac Chung. Uh, sadly, it's not available anywhere uh, streaming-wise. It's a video-on-demand deal, $20 rental, or it's still in uh, virtual cinemas. I think A24 is uh, running their own virtual cinemas. What is Minari before we get into it? Yeah, this one's, uh, I think it's it's kind of semi-autobiographical, if I'm not mistaken, about mm-hmm. Isaac Chung's life. Um, so it's a Korean-American family who kind of decide to leave the West Coast and get their own plot of land in rural Arkansas in hopes of having their own taste, per se, of the American dream, man, to get out of the the, the uh, chicken sexing that they're currently doing. Still obviously doing job. that. <laughs> what a job. But, uh, you know to have that opportunity to basically as Jacob, who is the father who's played by Steven Yen, uh, take his family and, and kind of just wants to grow and on this unspoiled land, you know, and the hardships that I guess come with it along the way. So not to spoil too much, I guess, before we kind of dive in, but yeah, you know, that was a, that was pretty succinct. I'll give that one a B plus. Woo-hoo! Um, so, okay, let's, here's, I think the best place to start with this and it has nothing to do with the content of the movie itself, really. 
is that it just won the Golden Globes Best Foreign Language Film. Uh, and this created some controversy. Uh, I really do want to get into the, to the substance of this movie, but there's a, there's a reason I bring this up. And people were, I think, justifiably upset because they looked at Minari and saw it as a quintessentially American film that yeah. won best foreign language feature just because, uh, you know, a, a good portion of the dialogue is in, in Korean. But yeah. I, people, again, I, like I said, I think they were rightly upset because this is a fucking American film. So like the distinguishing uh, between those things is always kind of, scattershot but i wonder what you think about that i'm not sure if you were aware of the controversy uh that if you were aware that people were upset about that kind of thing but what do you what do you think about this ver- being like an international film versus an american film in that I mean, was it so it couldn't get nominated and obviously best picture because right. of it or okay. Gold, golden globes rules it could not there those okay. are separate categories but one it will for American be films one for international yeah. films. Yeah, interesting. Uh, honestly, uh, for me personally, I don't really care. Uh, it's a good film, nonetheless. Uh, if I, I think it depends on what side of the. I mean, if you're a film critic, if you're film eccentric, you know, such as yourself and a lot of other people who obviously have this, I'm kind of upset about it. I could see completely their stance on coming from an American. Like, I get it. It's an American film. Now, if you're majority of my friends my parents, all that kind of stuff. And I'm sitting down watching a film and they see subtitles because they're talking in a different language. You know, it's foreign film. So yeah, <laughs> I think it just depends on what side of the spectrum you're really coming from. Uh, I don't take issue with it. I'm glad it won, you know, as it is with at least getting nominated for the category. But, uh, you know, I guess we'll see when it comes to the Oscar times, because at that point, you know, it's sure. a different rule. So, well, yeah, the Oscars, the Oscars, it, it will not be eligible for uh, international film. That is yeah. not based on language. <laughs> well, it's partly based on language, but it's also based on the country it's produced in. Uh, there's a decent, I think, better than decent chance that it gets nominated for Best Picture. But just before we close on on that portion of it, I, I think the reason that I find it frustrating, and a lot of other film people find it frustrating that this happened is and it won which is great because it's a good movie but the the frustrating part of it is like you said when your friends and your family see that there's subtitles they think foreign film and i just think that there's like a level of disconnect for a lot of people where they think about foreign film and immediately their head thinks that's not for me that's about somebody else that's about something that i'm not interested in and so for me it's frustrating when a film that is very much about the American dream, about an American family going through very American, made by an American director, starring a, a Korean American actor and produced, you know, all of it that go down the line. It is, it is through and through red blooded American. Um, yeah. I think that, that distinguishing it specifically as a foreign film might turn some people off that otherwise might have sought out uh this movie that very well could have won Best Picture. But anyway, we'll move past that. Uh, <laughs> what what did you think about this movie? Yeah, I think uh, you kind of, just to get into that, like opening scene, opening score, when you know he's taking his family and, and you see him driving up in the two separate cars, one with all their stuff and, and, and uh, Jacob's character, the father of this is, driving up in his other car. And it's just a little mobile home on wheels. Right. And, you know, instantly the mom gets out, uh, Monica, who's played by, <laughs> I'm sorry if I butcher your name, but Han Yi Ri, try and get everyone's right. name in there yeah. uh, just for sake of, and uh, yeah, she's like instantly turned off. She's like, wait, we, you know, left the West coast for this kind of thing. And, and you have the kids, uh, you know, David, who's played by Alan Kim, who I'm sure Alan we'll talk about. Alan S. Kim. Alan S. Kim. My apologies. Don't disrespect and, uh, Alan S. Kim. <laughs> uh i believe i don't know the daughter's name actually sorry i'm looking it up here Anne, Anne, yeah no not Anne. yeah Whatever. yeah Kate Cho. yes and then yeah so you get this whole those that's the family right there the four of them right the the daughter the son the mom and him of course and uh steven young yeah jacob all that so just like it it dives right into this and it's like okay like you know here we go and they're still continuing like i said the, the whole chicken sexing thing but you know j- 
Jacob, again, the father, he's, he's, he's super adamant. He's like, you know what, I'm going to take this untapped soil. And, you know, he, he, he takes his son out in his little cowboy boots, which just, you know, <laughs> he rules. steals the, sh- David steals Most the show. With those- the little <laughs> yeah. He does, this guy just, this kid just steals the show and, you know, it progresses to where it's like, you know, there's conversations with the wife and all that kind of stuff about how it would be. And, uh, you know, the hardships that obviously come with, you know, moving, such as they do, you know, it's, it's, it's wholesome to that nature because, you know, here's a father who just wants to work hard, who wants to make an honest living for his family. Um, and him seeing this envisioned picture of what that life is going to look like in a few years when he puts in the investment, when he puts in the time and he puts in the work. Um, and I think everyone kind of relates to that, right? I think everyone's in a situation, you know, I, what do you work for? Right. You know, I work, I don't have a significant other right now, but I still work for my family. I work for my parents, you know, in, in the nature, you know, I, I live at home and I, I like to support them in any way possible. And that comes down to that kind of stuff. I, I think you're the same way. And I think anyone kind of feels that, you know, you, you like to work and, and make a good living and, and, you know, have a name to yourself and provide for your family. So to that extent, it, it's cool to see that. And I think that's where it gets to the don't real American nature. Mouth, Cody. Oh, I'm I sorry. made money so I could pay my rent. <laughs> <laughs> right it's like it it is it's like the real american way right and that's where it gets maybe again that whole controversy that pops up but it's also it's cool because it also adds that additive that i can't really speak to but that perspective of you know they are korean family still who had moved to first originally to the west coast and they have their own vision on what that to them is the american dream right and even us as you know, I'm not saying they're not American. Obviously they are American and I'm American too. Um, but everyone has their own vision to what that is. So um, to see them go through this, it's just, it's just cool, man. Like it's just a good heartfelt story that just, like I said, just draws you in, man, from the beginning. And you just want to see, you want to see them succeed. Even in this movie, it's like you want to see them succeed in, you know, creating this farm, creating this life that they've envisioned as they progress throughout sure. the movie. Absolutely. Yeah. So there is so much that I really like about this movie. And there's so much that's so smart about uh, what they do with this. First, the first thing that I'll point out is that there isn't a lot of explicit racism in this movie. Um, There's a few scenes at, I think, where that were at church specifically. Yeah. Where a couple of the characters say some insensitive things. Um, one of them being a kid, but, but also like the women that, that try to befriend uh, what's uh, what's the mom's name again, uh, Monica. And that just call, keep calling her so cute and like basically treat her like an accessory. And, and there's like brief moments of that, but it's not central to the story in the same way that, uh, that racism is in a lot of other immigrant stories. Instead, one of the cool things that Minari does is it sort of flips the script Uh, And it really shows you how bizarre American culture is, right? Like one of their first interactions with somebody in Arkansas is the guy who's using a stick to like search for water in the (laughs) ground. It's like this mystical thing. And, and uh, Jacob uh, pulls, uh, pulls a sun aside and he's like, that's stupid. (laughs) We're going to use our brains um, to like find water ourselves. And they do. And then it it, kind of comes around in a really sort of impactful way at the very end of the movie to, to sort of signify that like when you come to a place, sometimes you have to like, you have to bring a part of yourself, but you have to engage with, with what's there as well. And, and it's a very, I don't know, subtle way of, of doing that. Uh, but there's lots of stuff like that, right? Like Will Patton's character dragging the, the crucifix behind him on Sunday, <laughs> like just Freaking how, love weird some of the traditions and uh of of some of the people that are there in in arkansas already are i I like how uh minari subverts uh our expectations of what an immigrant story looks like and and you didn't even mention the best part of this movie is the grandma Uh, yeah yeah i was gonna get into that yoon yu jung plays her and i think she should win best supporting actress at the oscars uh who knows if she'll get nominated but she is so funny in this like just getting super yeah. into wrestling and drinking mountain dew like just through and through like I, i'm telling you this movie just it made me really happy because it, it just felt like 
such an interesting examination of like a fundamentally American family that feels like they're out of place, you know, in this, in this country that they call home. And yeah. It's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. The out of place thing, right. When the grandma does show up and stuff, she brings like goodies and stuff that, you know, like I said, Monica had to get go right away. She's like, this is what she promised me. And, and she's, she's mm-hmm. hesitant. You know, she makes it very clear to Jacob, you know, the husband that, Hey, you know, really this, you know, there's no source of income other than what we're already doing with the sex, uh, the chicken sexing. And you, you really think you can grow the crops and waste all our, in a sense, waste all our money. I know in the movie, David has a, a health issue. So it's like, you know, she's very clear that the hospital is like an hour away. So she's, she's hesitant. She's hesitant from the get go. And it just continues to linger on throughout the movie. And you see that, but that when the grandma gets in the picture, um, it, it definitely brings that liveliness. Like you said, she is one of her and David's, and I'm sure we'll get into that is one of the best parts of the film in terms of the, uh, the dialogue and, and the connection of how they treat it. Um, mm-hmm. But she's happy to see her too, in the sense that she brings these things specifically. I believe she even brings the Minari seeds that they end up planting, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. And, great and it's and, for the story. And it's it's her like symbol of home, right? Like because I feel like you know we talk about this American dream, and you talk about this move, and it's like how much of yourself are you willing to give up? And as much as they are American, there's that other cultural aspect for them specifically where you could see the father's willing to give it up a little bit more because he mm-hmm. wants to pursue something. And she doesn't just like she's afraid of the move and afraid of their situation. I, I, I see that hesitance in her. And I feel like that's one of those drawing points when the grandma does show up in the picture. But uh, yeah, um, I don't know if you have anything on that as well before we kind of probably dive into the dynamics of David and the grandma, which... I am happy to do so. <laughs> yeah, so I, I want to talk a little bit more about Jacob because as much as this story is framed through, uh, I cannot, David's, David's perspective, Alan S. Kim's character, because that is uh, the perspective from which Lee Isaac Chung experienced uh, the events of his childhood. But I want to talk about Jacob's character because I think he's so fascinating. I think that his reckoning with the American dream in this movie is one of the most compelling depictions I've ever seen, you know? Uh, And this is the way I framed it in the review that I have up on spinningthereal.com. Got to plug that. Um, And I have had up there for a while. But so many movies, especially coming up in like this, not me coming up in the 60s or 70s or whatever, but like when the films that were being made at that time looked at the American dream as like this aspirational thing where people work their way up, bootstrap their way to, to great fortune, or whatever, you know, and then as we got into more of the modern era, it became sort of like this, the American dream is fucking dead. And don't you dare try to get anything better for your life. Right. And, and I think you can see some of that um, in actuality, but we don't need to get into the politics of um, upward mobility today. But one of the things that I think is really fascinating about this movie is it doesn't try to say that, yes, better things are possible, or no, they're not. Because in a, in a sense, the, and this is getting, I guess, into spoiler warning for anyone from here on out, because we're going to get into spoilers, I think, the rest of the way here. Jacob's journey, he does move to Arkansas. He does start a successful farm. He does sell his crops. And then it also all goes to shit, right? It's both sides of it. And there's hope that maybe they can rebuild. But we get this pivotal scene in the hospital uh, towards the end of the movie When Monica's asking Jacob, like, why are you doing all of this? Like, don't you care about your family? And his response is basically like, I have to do this for my family. Like the kids need to see me succeed at something. And that I found really, really powerful as the central thesis of the movie, that it's not so much about whether or not you will become a success, whether or not you will become rich beyond your wildest imagination, whether or not your life will be better or not anyway. Uh, it's about showing your family that hard work pays off. It's about showing them that even if this isn't possible for me, it's possible for you. So you have to go out there and try it. And I found that to be really, really compelling, even given the ending. And I think the ending is fantastic of this movie of um, sort of the way everything lyrically loops back together. But for me, that was just one of the most impactful moments in a film I saw last year 
was that scene in the hospital. And, and it's part of the reason why this movie, I think, was number three on my uh, top 10 list. Yep. That's it. Yep. <laughs> I, I don't know if you're gonna keep going there i was like okay he's he's, he's on a roll man this is one of those evan tangents so i was just like okay. i had a lot to say <laughs> i know yeah i know but yeah no I, I i agree uh you know he's upbeat about it the whole time right like he's very you know high spirits himself and all to, that kind of stuff yeah. and and he even fails in his achievements like you said like there's opportunities not opportunities but like when he tries to grow and stuff like you said you know you know crops start to die or he has to invest money into the equipment to, to farm it and all that kind of stuff. And it does get to that point and the hospital seems very good. And I think it goes for both sides, you know, both parties in terms of uh, Jacob and Monica, because there's also right in that same scene or same scenario of the hospital, you know, this whole movie, all she's cared about is obviously her whole family, but she's really cared about David's health uh, more so than not. And, the doctor comes in and basically says, Hey, whatever you're doing, whatever's in the Arkansas water, keep doing it. And it, it gets to a breaking point regardless mm-hmm. that, you know, she, it she really can't turns see- the tables, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but even to a point where it's like, she still can't see herself, you know, making this work with, you know, with her husband kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. We, there's a lot of fights throughout the movie that the two have arguments, I should say, and discussions and all this kind of stuff. And and that you're right. That's a huge boiling point in the movie um, that definitely lingers, draws and everything that we're talking about and so much more that's not getting mentioned just as I'm trying to depict to and talk about it. But uh, yeah, um, a very American dream movie and, and, and you root for you root for him the whole way through. Like I said, it draws you in from the beginning. Oh, they're, they're every... a very likable family. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, uh, you got a little David in his cowboy boots and, you know, peeing into cups and, and feeding it off to Mountain Dew, maybe <laughs> water <laughs> from it. the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. Let's touch a little bit more on uh, on the grandma because she is just wonderful in this movie. And I think we're going to talk about what I think is the most difficult role in film last year uh, in our second segment, but let's talk a little bit about another performance that is pretty tough to pull off. I think in that um, what's her name? Yoon Yoo Jung pulled off as, uh, as Sunja man, she has to play this like curmudgeonly, uh, but just totally lovable grandma who is just totally like outside the norm, wonderful, wonderful character as she is uh, trying to connect with this family that she doesn't really even know. It's been so long since she saw them that she's never even met David. And she has, she just plays all of those elements, the lovable part of it, the, the sort of fiery element that she has. Uh, and, and the Minari bit too is really, really touching because I think she says that like Minari can grow anywhere is the idea. And so you, yep. you transplant this seed into this place where it's not from, but, but it still grows and it still finds a way. And that's sort of a, a metaphor for the movie at large. But then uh, we already gave the spoiler warning. So then, but then she has the stroke and she has to play this same woman, but who has been tamped down by, uh, by a stroke. And interact with these characters and and you can still when she sets the barn on fire at the end you can still feel the the remorse behind it that she's she's feels really bad about it but there's nothing she can do to stop it and it's just this really really powerful performance and a wonderful character just one of the best written characters you can tell how much love and admiration um lee isaac chung had for his his own grandmother uh being that this is this is pretty autobiographical and and i mean like if you didn't if your eyes didn't water up a little bit when uh, when david started running to stop her from uh walking uh walking off into the to the woods that i mean you have no soul right (laughs) (laughs) so yeah uh, yeah, she definitely adds an element that I think was needed because she either breaks up the monotony of what this film would have been. Like I said, it's a lot of, you know, trial and error, a lot of bickering, right? It would have mm-hmm. been fighting and then trial and error. Like without that levity of her role in terms of the seriousness of kind of relieving, obviously, the mom and the dad of yeah. those parental duties, 
And so where we get that relationship with David, she also alleviates that because of that role, that, that, that banter that kind of goes back and forth. Right. Like, and, and we see it with David too, just kind of like the mom, how I kind of brought up earlier where I believe he opens or says something along the lines of like, Oh, she smells like, you know, a Korean grandma. <laughs> You've never been, been to Korea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, she, but he brings that up. Right. And, and, and he has this image, I believe in his head, on what that American grandma yeah, is, you know, the absolutely. one to bake cookies or whatever and, 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 you know, help with the wounds when you fall off your bike, that I mean, what the grandma's there for and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And so he has that vision and she doesn't at first meet that said vision that's in his head and, and, and treats her very, you know, like, ah, uh, you're, you know, whatever. Like the Minari, she grows on him. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. But uh, yeah, I mean, then it gets, uh i I love that relationship that is grown between her and and Mm -hmm. and david as as the movie progresses from the mountain dew scene obviously of like the the funniness of the film um and into that you know the running after her in the woods after the whole fire thing and and you know hey you're part of this family we love you you know come back to us so like um, i said it's the real uh the real hillbilly elegy man it's, uh, <laughs> it's the real story about the uh the poor people in the Appalachian Mountains that uh and the roadblocks in their way to uh to success. Yes. But yeah, I I you know, I don't have enough good things to say about this film in terms of there's just so many good things where, to say about uh, this film. Before before we get to the roundup, where where do you sure. think it will be on your uh 2020 list if you, oh, if shoot, you go back man. and take a look? If I'm I surprised back- you haven't haven't done it yet. You know what? I was because both of these movies, I'll be honest, I was on fence on where I wanted to put them before we talked. I actually really wanted to talk to mm-hmm. hear your thoughts and, and kind of, you know, break down the movie a little bit more. So uh, I would say that both of these movies that ended up in your top 10, uh, there is one that I think would end up in my top 10. Ooh. And it's this one. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I. I I really actually adored this movie again. The whole Korean thing in terms of whether it's man, if that other movie isn't higher than the fucking gentleman on your <laughs> list, <laughs> I'm putting it right underneath the gentleman now. No matter my what. god, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, this one is just like I said, man. Like I was really, I was I was one of those people. I think like many others, and as much as I can feel like I relate to this, um, I know there's plenty of other people that relate to this on different notes who see certain characters who like, Hey, you know, that's my dad. That's my sister. That's like, that's my grandma. Mm -hmm. Like I understand there's that group of people too, that relate to it to that extreme extent. And that's really cool. And and it's really powerful that this movie can really just speak to anyone and everyone. And um, like I said, yeah, uh, a really, really great film. So it's, I mean, that's, that's incredibly put because I, I think the magic of this movie is it is an immigrant story, which, which is relatable to many people, but it's also an American story. And then that is just equally relatable to, to so many people as well. So however, whatever angle you're coming at this from, like there's something here for you, which is uh, which is pretty cool. Great movie. Yes. So now can I go into my letterbox roundup? Of course you can. All right. I will be giving this a four and a half out of five stars. Well, Cody, you are half a sh- uh, star short, but you know what the good news is? If podcasting doesn't work out for you, you might have a future as a chicken sexer. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Cody, so rumor on the street is that you have a game for me. I do. Um, this is the first time hearing of it, but I'm. That's intrigued. the fun of it. So I'm calling it the Evans Five Course Movie Knowledge. Is that because and, uh, I gave five stars to Minari and didn't say it in the letterbox roundup? <laughs> no, but I'm glad now that you said that. You said half star okay. difference. I'm pretty sure people knew it was higher. It was in your top 10. Come on. Right. They could put pieces together. I, trust I just don't the- want to make people do math if they don't want to. That's true. Um, but you did until now. Anyway, can I get to my game? You can try. 
I can try. All right. So what I got here is I wanted to kind of, it's going to all come together at the end for the reason I did this game. So I'm actually going to be starting from the back, working my way up and how I came up with it. And we'll get there. There's <laughs> okay. five rounds. Sure. And there's five movies. It's too much and, math already. There's mini games. So the first uh-huh. round is going to be an over under on a star rating. And here are your five movies. Are you ready? Um, uh, so are there are five movies for every round or I just pick a movie for each there, round. Every, every round has the same five movies. Oh, and they're okay. Based around these five now, movies. Let's say one of the movies, sorry to interrupt you with all these questions. Say sure. one of the movies is Minari, right? If I yes. pick Minari in the first round, is Minari off the board for the second round? No. Once this game gets started, you'll understand, and that will be no reason for that. Okay. The five movies are The Big Lebowski, The Blues Brothers. Should I write this down? I probably should. No, you won't down. need to. You won't need okay. to. I promise. In the okay. last round, you might, but not this oh one. Oh, my God. All right, let's go. Casablanca, Love Casino it. Royale, Lost in Translation. You picked some movies I like a lot. Well, four out of the five you've seen. I checked your letterbox. Uh, <laughs> the one I haven't seen. The Blues Brothers. <laughs> the Blues Brothers, nineteen eighty. Look at so, look at me knowing what movies I've seen and not seen. <laughs> <laughs> so again, this is a star rating from Letterbox. Over under was the Big Lebowski over or under four stars. Oh, over. People like that movie a lot. Yeah, over. Uh, you are correct. It is 4.1 stars. Now, this is going to be one of those fucking games where you give me a one point difference. <laughs> <laughs> Not by choice. Okay. All right. Well, that's the bl- okay. The bl- the bl- <laughs> I don't pick the letterbox ratings. People watch. But, but you they pick the over moves. under. I do pick the over <laughs> under. You're right. So the Blues Brothers. Yes. I will also say over under four stars. That one, oh man, the problem is it's like a, I don't think it's officially an SNL movie, but it's like an SNL movie. And those movies are a little bit divisive. I'm going to go under, but it's, people like that movie too. It's like a cult classic. It is under at 3.9 stars. Okay. All right. Uh, Casablanca, over, under, also four stars. Over, easy. Easy. Do you know how much? What would you guess? I'm Just... guessing that that's a four three. Wow! Right on the goddamn money. You're too good at this. That guy. movie's a fucking classic, man. Yeah, you're right. It, we talked about it. True masterpiece. Casino Royale over under four stars. That one is tricky because I I like that movie. I think it's good, but I I'm gonna say under. It is under at 3.9 stars. Yeah. All right. Dude, you're sweeping the board. This is the appetizer round, I guess, you know, and you're just killing it. Now you're going to jinx it. No, I'm not. Lost in translation, over, under. Can you guess? Four stars. Fuck me, dude. Because (laughs) I think this movie is perfect. But, well, actually, I gave it a four and a half stars. Anyway. Oh, God. Um, The Bill Murray, Scarlett Johansson. I have to say under i feel like it's like a three nine it is a three nine three out of the five movies are all three nine so i was gonna have you rate these rank these in order but when i saw three of them were three nine i changed it it was the over (laughs) under round so i went five for five yeah you swept that round all right all right round two it's called runtime obviously you know where this one's going i want you to rank these five movies you just said i'm not gonna need to write these down (laughs) Yeah, I, you could have remembered those five. Okay, all right. All we're gonna right. go. We're gonna go. We'll start from longest to shortest, and I want you to rank them. Which okay. movie do you think is the longest? Let me let me get my bearings here. So I don't. I haven't seen the Blues Brothers. Don't know how long that is. Um, Casino Royale of the ones I've seen, I think, are the ones that I know pretty well. I think is the longest. Um, the Big Lebowski could be up there, but I feel like the Coen brothers don't make super long movies. And that movie is about basically nothing. So I'm going to go Casino Royale is the longest. Okay. I'm going to go Casablanca. Number two. Sure. Okay. Um, let's go Big Lebowski. I feel like that's wrong. Blues Brothers and then Lost in Translation, I feel like is pretty short. Okay. I could yeah, be totally yeah. wrong. 
you know, you had a really great first round and then you kind of died in the second round. The right. longest movie, you're right, was Casino Royale. James Bond, long movie. All right. The second longest movie was actually The Blues Brothers. 133 minutes. It. How would I know? Yeah, I know. You're right. You know, I had to throw one movie. There had to be one wrench in this for you. Okay. Uh, number three, you got it right. The Big Lebowski. Okay. And then I kind of gave you the other two. Casablanca and Lost in Translations both say have a runtime of 102 minutes. So you could have so, put them in either one. So you technically got Lost in Translation right because that could have been five. Perfect. Casablanca all right so considering i didn't know one of the movies that's uh that's fair i think that's not too bad you're right all right on to our third course our third round audits for that this is going to be called the budget multiplier every movie has a budget sure every movie makes money well at least you hope they make money you would want them to so i'm going to give you the budget of the movie and then a multiplier and you're going to tell me which one. It's like an ABC choice. So to start, Big Lebowski was made for $15 million. Okay. Did it, did it double, triple, or quadruple its earnings? Closest. Uh, double. Double. You would be incorrect. It quadrupled. It was really? closer. Yes. That movie, I, I always think of that movie as like a cult classic. I guess a four times. Oh, did you say triple? You're right. I, I guess I can't do math. It did triple. I was looking at the wrong one. Did anyway, you say double? I think so. I, I don't know. But that movie is interesting because <laughs> it's like a cult classic. Like it got really yeah. popular after it was in theaters for sure. Some That's, I guess, the case for a couple of these movies. All right. The next one is The Blues Brothers was produced for Whatever 30 the million. Most is. <laughs> <laughs> you win. <laughs> Way to take the game away from me. That was also a double, triple, or quadruple. <laughs> you obviously went with the last. I'll go with it. Yes, would you like to yeah, keep that I quadruple? Would. Yes. <laughs> it made $115 million. It is closest to a quadruple. You are correct, sir. <laughs> Next one. Casablanca was made for $850K. Wow, that's a very pretty big budget for the 1940s. <laughs> I guess that could be adjusted for today. Who knows? Did it double? triple or quadruple i haven't the slightest idea but because it has resonated for so long let's just go with quadruple it is closest to a quadruple it grossed in the box office a 3.7 million so what a what a gem of a movie yeah i'm gonna watch casablanca again this week maybe I've stirred it in you. I've instilled that this movie is too great to pass. Instead of this, the rest of this game, let's just talk about how great Casablanca <laughs> is again. <laughs> no, I am playing this game through until the end because the last round could be fun. I do respect you for trying to pass off five different games that we've played before as one <laughs> new game. <laughs> hey, you got to get your inspirations from somewhere. The last round, I guarantee the last two rounds are actually new. Interesting. Uh, All right. Lost in, tra- Lost in Translation budgeted for $4 million. Ooh. Now, this one's a little bit different. Times 10, times 20, or times 30. So this is another one that was, uh, that like got popular more so after the fact, I feel like. Mm-hmm. So I'll go, I'll go with the... I'll go with the times 10, but it's probably the times 20. I don't know. You know what? This one is crazy, Evan. This one is a times 30. It grossed really? 118 million. I didn't think that movie did as well as it did. I mean, it's what, 2001 or something like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. That was a much more popular movie in theaters than I thought it was. Yeah. Oh, I skipped Casino Royale because you wanted to skip this game. I'll go back. Casino Royale made for 150 mil oh, <laughs> times two. Times three or times four? Well, let's go times four, I guess. Um, it's, James four. <laughs> it's James Bond. It's James Bond. You're right. It is times four. It grossed for 616 mil. So you're doing pretty good, man. You're doing pretty good. How are you feeling? You little. Well, I'm feeling not great because I just watched that. I'm watching a hockey game as I do sometimes during this wow. podcast. Wow. We but always do. A commercial featuring Paula Abdul dancing to advertise uh, so you think you arthritis can dance? medicine. Oh, never mind. Um, is it's weird she's even she's even degraded from so you think you can dance to that arthritis on that i know she obviously she was on american idol 
I'm pretty sure she was on dance. So You Think You Can Dance or, or something like that. Or Mass Dance. Oh, Mass Dancer. Sense. That's what it is. Oh, God. That's Mass a thing, Dancer. too. It's the new thing. It's the new thing, man. I, I hate content. Let's just cancel <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> All right. We're at the uh, we're at the main course, and you know you always had that option, chicken or steak. You get a chance here. Do you want who in this next game rank or over under? It's either you you rank let's, them in order or you over, over under. under. I feel like it's a uh, it's a little more engaging for people at home. Okay, so this is called the people watching round. This is how many people have watched the movie and have logged it and logged it. So we will start with the Big Lebowski. How many people have Over. seen the Snyder Cut? More people than have logged it on uh, <laughs> Letterboxd, I'm sure. So you, you went with over or under. And uh, we are going to say, Big Lebowski, is it over or under 460,000 views? Uh, I have no scape, scope of, of this. Um, over, I don't know. You, <laughs> Once I know one or, one or the other, I, that should give me a better context. But I'll say... It is, it is over. It's 476 have logged okay. this movie. All right. That gives me a baseline. It does. We will now continue down the list. The Blues Brothers, over or under 150. Over. Thousand. Over. Right? You would be in, you'd be incorrect. It is it's under 139 oh. have logged. Okay. All right. All right. Casablanca over or under 250,000. Obviously, all these are the the case. <laughs> um, let's just go over again. Why not? You would you would be correct. Two hundred and seventy have logged this movie. Awesome. All right, Casino Royale. See, this is a stupid fucking game because <laughs> definitely more people have watched Casablanca than have watched like The Big Lebowski in history. I'm sure, but, but you know because Letterboxd is Letterboxd. You know what? Because this podcast is obviously school at this point. You go ahead. No, do some research. Do some research. Come back to me. Let me know if that's actually true. More people and all the viewership numbers elsewhere. Now, go ahead. (laughs) Carry on to the next one. It's fine. Casino Royale over under three hundred and twenty-five. Let's go over. It's newer. Letterboxd. I don't know. It's over three hundred forty-two. It's over. Thank God. Lost in translation. Over. Or under 450. Oh, yeah. This is uh, this is a letterboxed favorite. This is uh, yeah. like Ladybird is another I, one. Yeah. That peop- uh, Inception, I think, is another one. Interstellar. A lot of like letterboxed uh, yeah. favorites there. Um, I don't remember what the number is, but let's go over. Let's get the wild. Number, the number was 450. <laughs> you got wild. You got ambitious. And it was your downfall. 423. Well, or- the idiots... The masses, they need to watch <laughs> Lost in Translation more. They need to be uh, like me and watch it like once every few months. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, I, I do love that. I love Game Bill Murray. slowly dude. driving me insane. All right, but now I, got to, now I got to the last round, and I only wanted to get to the last round because the last round sparked this entire game, whether you liked it or not. Oh, God. This is the mix and drink round where these five movies, just like David loves his Mountain Dew, Mm-hmm. five movies have iconic drinks to it and you have to match the drinks to the movie so i will give you the five drinks and you have to match them to the movie in which they were in it oh look at your, look at your face you're just like well oh. the big lebowski is the lebowski lemonade right really are you sure i don't know go ahead give me the, the give me the drinks we got the french 75 okay i do need to write this down <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe this whole game was sparked by this one round? I'm like, if I do one round, it has to be longer than just this. Hold Here on. we are. I, I, uh, okay. French, French something. 75. Sure. I have the Centauri whiskey. <laughs> Centauri time. <laughs> we got the one. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't get you sometimes. The white Russian. Hold on. White Russian. Sure. The the vodka Vesper Martini. Okay. And the orange whip. Orange those whip. Are, okay. Those are your five drinks. And you have to match them to the movie. 
And okay. if I was to throw Minari well, in here, Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew. Uh, well, for a good time, make it Santori time. That is, of course, the uh, the drink that uh, Bill Murray is advertising in uh, Lost in Translation. You are very, correct. Very easy there. I feel like the White Russian might be a uh, trick question because someone at the the table in Casino Royale might order it, but because it's it's James Bond, right? I got to go the martini for Casino Royale. Is that okay. right? You are correct. Okay, and this Maybe. is where it gets a little trickier because now we're getting into okay <laughs> white white Russian. I believe. Casablanca. <laughs> okay. Is that right? No, keep going. Oh my yeah. god. Okay. Um, you gotta try and finish, I don't I don't know the rest. Let's, let's go with the French 75 Big Lebowski Orange Whip uh the Blues Brothers. The Blues Brothers. All right. You were almost perfect. Do you the Big Did Lebowski? The last two? No, it's actually the Big Lebowski is the white Russian. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And the French 75 came from Casablanca. Got it. Okay, so, that is the game. I got Santori you, time, right? You know, thanks for sticking around to eat the dessert, and uh, that was the reason we had this game. Evan's five course movie knowledge. Thank you for playing, Evan. Cody, we have another movie that you have caught up with in preparation of the Oscars. And I'm just going to gonna side note, say that with these two, I think you're pretty much caught up on anything that seems pretty likely to be nominated for the Oscars. Academy's That's, weird. Sometimes it's kind of cool. Something in there. Yeah, I'm kind of uh, glad because last year, I mean, I, I saw a lot last year, but like this year, I really do feel like because of the whole streaming thing and everything yeah. like that. Oh, you know what you haven't seen? I lied. What? The Father. The Father's uh, going to be mixed in a few categories. And there's you know what? nowhere to watch it. I You'd will have to go to a drive-in. I'll live. I'll live and, you know, I will take the consensus of what I read <laughs> and I will still make that prediction next week if I feel like it's deserving of a win somewhere. So, All right. Well, there's no sense in talking about movies that you haven't or can't see. So why don't we talk about Nomadland? Directed by Chloe Jaw. It's on Hulu now. You watched it. I watched it again. What is this movie, Cody? Well, I mean, you started the other movie with how it was Golden Globe nominated and won. Don't you want to start with how this was also Golden Globe nominated and won? One, I did that after your... Uh, oh! And I'll, make two, my, I'll make my plot description real it's, quick it's then. It's less relevant. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. So, I mean, the plot description here... Uh, really not much of anything in terms of you know the plot after the death of like her husband and her town uh we get a character introduces fern uh played by francis mcdormand who just embarks on a journey in life to kind of live her new life as you know a modern day what we consider a nomad uh lives in a little van and just just travels around uh rural united states almost actually not just rural united states but kind of everywhere um and it's and it's filled with you know fictional events fictional characters um, at the same time, though, it, it does uh, coincide and and exist with, you know, non-fictional characters as well. And I think that is one of the points that you really want to emphasize and that I would emphasize as well. That makes this movie really kind of special, really kind of touching. And uh, I guess that's right into my impressions because of it. It, it, it. It's just it's another one of those good, you know, I guess American kind of told stories where, it's just there's a lot of care and empathy to not only Fern's character, um, but to all of the, like I said, real characters that she meets along the way. So um, it's very interesting. And I was very, again, just like uh, just like Minari, it kind of just it just draws you in without even knowing. And you just like you're like, oh, OK, so, tell the people what you told me when I asked you what you thought about this movie going in. What? I don't you know were, what I told you. You told me that you started watching it and you weren't sure. You remember? No, I don't. You so you told I was I was we were filming the the video content and uh, <laughs> Cody 
is like, yeah, you know, I watched Nomadland. I turned it on. I really thought I wasn't going to like it. I, the first thought I had was that this is a very much an Evan type of movie. <laughs> this is not Evan wrong. type of movie. So, yeah. Usually Evan's favorite five-star movies, with the exception of a few, uh, are just complete turnoffs for me. And this, is, <laughs> this isn't one of those movies. So, you know, I'll take it. We yeah, Chloe, Chloe Jaw has just a, a magic about her filmmaking to make you feel at home with the people in her movies. And part of that is just the way she does it. She goes into these communities and she builds trust and she honestly depicts their, uh, their experiences. And, and out of that, you get such raw and emotional stories told by the people that live them themselves, which is just, I think, interesting for anyone to watch. The thing that I find fascinating about Nomadland is it is very much about the Great Recession, but it isn't about pointing the blame at anyone, more or less. It's not a movie that is, it's shockingly apolitical, I will say, for a movie about the uh, the working poor uh, nomads of, of the American West after the Great Recession. I mean, for goodness sakes, they go inside an Amazon warehouse and they got access to go in to an Amazon warehouse, which is nuts because Amazon has taken so much heat in the past for the conditions in their in their warehouses. But it, it doesn't, uh, Chloe Jaw doesn't try to come at this to criticize uh, Amazon exploiting these nomadic workers or doesn't come try to come at it by like attacking the, the banking industry and mortgage uh, lenders that caused the financial crisis in the first place. She just goes at it to try and depict what life is like for, for these folks. And I find that really fascinating. And she does such a, a wonderful job of, of, of doing that. So, I mean, this is, as much as it is a portrait of the Great Depression and the era that's followed it, it is also just a depiction of people who are disconnected from modern society in one way or another um, in a way I found really fascinating. I, I mean, I could go on for, for ages, but I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll prompt you with that, I guess, and see what, what you thought about the film more broadly. Yeah, uh, it's just, it's interesting to think about, right? I think just from a standpoint of such as, you know, Minari and stuff, it's like work hard and all that kind of stuff. Uh, this one kind of has that same sense of appreciate what you have. If I had to like kind of say or sum it up in a way that like mm-hmm. that's where I felt from coming from it, because um, like I said, in, in this, that they open up with like a scene where I believe it's the whole, uh, the reason for the town getting shut down. What was it? The, the Yeah. Bed? The little Q, the cue uh, card or whatever that's, that says, yeah, that it was the, the sheet rock in, yeah. In like M- dropped or whatever. Yeah. In Nevada and stuff. And, and the town basically became like a ghost town and, you know, here she is getting right in this situation where she's already lost her husband uh, who worked at this uh, plant for his entire life. Um, she has, a you know, a uh, storage container that she keeps mm-hmm. all her belongings in and you see her instantly, you know, selling a lot of this stuff off and or just giving it away. And you not, take not it at and- the beginning. No, very specifically, not at the beginning. She's she takes some plates with her. So, that, yeah, the plates sorry, is what I'm I guess I'm referring you. to. But no, because she wanted them. But that storage container is super critical to the movie because it, it represents her unwillingness to move past the life that she's been forced to leave behind, which is why she pays for a storage unit in a town she doesn't live in anymore. But it's also represents like her inability to take it with her and her inability to handle the load of taking it with her emotionally and physically. That, that storage unit is, is central to the film and it's why it comes back at the end. All right. I'm just going to make a note here. Uh, we made it four episodes before Evan interrupted me. Uh, it's, that's actually oh, a record. I, I'm sure I interrupted you <laughs> earlier in this episode even. <laughs> but before that, it's been about four. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Uh, you're completely right. And that is actually pivotal to bring up and interrupt me for. But uh, it's still interesting because, she, again, she does only take the plates and she leaves and, and she ends herself in these situations where she lives on these campgrounds. She does these things for work, such as working in the Amazon warehouse, uh, another campground where she's kind of just cleaning up and, and taking care of the facilities and stuff and even ends up at a point where uh, she's drawn in by her friends that she even meets from this warehouse and stuff. And I think this is one of the, my favorite scenes 
is that they end up at this other campground. Uh, I forget exactly where it is. And your favorite part was the socialism speech. <laughs> not the speech. Not the speech. Don't don't. Hey hey. <laughs> I'm so proud. <laughs> no, it, it's not the socialist speech. That it's, was my favorite the, part too. <laughs> it was the campfire scene uh, right after the socialist speech, <laughs> and just everyone presenting as I think anyone would around a campfire and opening up about their situations on, you know, some of their stories more tragic than others, you know, lost loved ones and stuff. And even other, you know, lost loved ones that, you know, sparked this, you know, sense. And then there's the, I remember the one lady saying, Oh, my friend just died. And, you know, he worked his whole life and, and what did he get out of it? You know, he has a, a, a sailboat sitting in his driveway right. that he never took out. And th- that kind of like struck a chord in me and really that's, I think, where I kind of came all in for this movie. Um, and these, again, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, around the campfire were all real people. I know there was uh, her friend that was actually a real nomad and stuff. But um, like I said, these are like real people with their real stories. And, and it just struck a chord because, you know, it's like, man, like what what would constitute you to, you know, upheave your whole life? You know, there's situations where you do lose everything. And it's sad and it's unfortunate and, and you're stuck in these situations. Um, and, but there's beauty to it too. I, that's, what's really cool with this. You see the beauty in the lifestyle that they've come to live where in a way money isn't always happiness. Mm-hmm. I think that goes without saying. And, and, and you feel that in this movie. Wow. Cody's giving a socialism <laughs> speech now. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do I have to turn around and be capitalism is great? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I, that's just, I, I think it's the do tell, right? There's always that, you know, what is how, what is that money to happiness ratio? And I, I just like seeing Fern's experiences of dealing with these people and how most of them, you know, are, are very content, very happy, even with all the tragedy, all of the mishaps, all the hurdles that they've had to overcome. Um, and that's what makes this movie real and authentic. There's, like I said, just as much as I really like the, you know, autobiographies, all that nonfiction stuff, all the stuff based off true stories. In this movie, you are living one. And that is where this resonates with me. Yes. So lots to get into there. Yes. I want to set aside the the real life people acting as yes. uh, semi-fictionalized versions of themselves for a minute. I think that's a separate conversation that we should have here in a minute. One thing that I really found fascinating that dovetails in with the the campfire scene that, that you connected with so much is how much of this movie is really just a character piece of Fern uh, and who she is and what she wants and why she wants it. And the most interesting thing to me about that is, or at least one of them, how little Fern speaks in the movie. She is a, I guess you could say an active listener in, um, from, for the most part in the movie. She sits around the campfire. She really doesn't tell her own story in a whole lot of detail throughout the film. She just sort of sits around and listens to other people. But it's through these little behaviors uh, that you get to know her in the way that she's social, she wants to talk to the people around there, but she doesn't want to get too close to them. Uh, You can tell how afraid she is to lose people because she has lost people. She's lost her. She says she's houseless, not homeless, but she did lose her home. She didn't, not even just speaking of the physical building, she lost the the place that she lived and the friendships and, uh, and all of that as well. So you, you can feel the reservation that she has when she, uh, when David Strathairn's character, um, I think his name is also David, uh, drops her box of plates and they shatter that, I don't know about you, but I gasped both times uh, watching this movie that that happened because you just know how little she has with her and how much the stuff she carries with her means. And it's one of the few things she actually like showed Linda May and spoke to her about. So I don't think I've ever seen a more complete portrait of a character in a movie especially one that that doesn't even speak all that much to the point where i was even a little bothered by the scene where she so i guess let's just go spoilers now i'm just gonna call spoilers when i'm about to spoil the movie but she goes back to her sister's house at one point and her sister sort of explains her whole backstory and i honestly was like you don't need this like 
we already know. We, we don't know the exact details, but we already know that she didn't feel comfortable being at home, that she didn't feel comfortable borrowing money, that she, she has to work because it keeps her mind off of things. And she has to travel because staying in one place will let those memories creep back in. I, I just think that the, the character work of Fern is masterful. And that is a credit both to Francis McDormand, of course, and, uh, and to Chloe Jaw. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I didn't really think about that, but you're right. She, she's kind of like us at that perspective of just hearing everyone's story. And as much as she's in those moments where she is friendly, um, she is still very reserved. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't really come at it from that angle when I, I watched it. I've only watched it once, but, uh, kind of glad you brought that up. So, okay, well, let's, let's talk about the other part of this too, that, that you brought up already. And that I think is a good, this is a good transition into it because it's another reason why McDormand's performance is the performance of the year to me, uh, if not multiple years going back. Like the, it is so strong because she has to credibly play a nomad uh, among a group of real life nomads. And she does. It's incredible. Like you wouldn't. And, and it, I just, I don't think any other actress we're going to, we, we're going to talk in a couple weeks here about, who gets nominated for Academy Awards, but I guarantee you none of the other actresses that will get nominated will would have been able to pull off what Frances McDormand does in, in blending in to a cast of real people yeah. in this movie. It is yep. magnificent. Do you have some thoughts about... I, I, you talked about hearing the real stories, but I mean, any other thoughts about just like the concept of of introducing like real people as their own characters if you thought that elevated the movie took away from it was distracting i think it elevated it i like i said when something's real it's relatable and when it's mm -hmm. relatable i i think that's what a lot of people at least what i really like about movies is that connectability factor um and to her performance like you said um, I know there's a lot of times where people physically get into that state of whether it's, you know, I know we had, you know, uh, Joaquin Phoenix when he gets, you know, the whole Joker aspect of his body <laughs> or you Joker see, or you, or you see <laughs> these people, you know, bulk up for those roles and people, and when people take on a role so seriously and get into that persona to get into that physical and all that kind of shape, it's also to speak to, like you said, there's a mental side of it. And for her to carry herself and to do this for so long, and it, it is very interesting and for sure worthy of applause. So um, I hope the first thing, I mean, I'm sure the first thing she bought was a seven gallon bucket. So that's a positive. <laughs> oh, you think she's got bad knees? <laughs> it's a very inside baseball joke there. But... Yeah. Uh, that's funny. But yeah. yeah, it's stuff like that that's like, you know you laugh about it and stuff and it's like oh you know things that you like don't even think about when you're like life on the road it's like oh shit no pun mm -hmm. intended but it's like those things and stuff and, and what she has to go through and deal with so um, yeah <laughs> kudos to all of that so yeah it's it's really magnificent and and it's what chloe jaw has done her entire career in her previous two movies same same thing casting real life people to, to portray, um, uh, again, semi fictionalized versions of their own life. And that is, uh, and they're great in the movie. I mean, gotta love swanky. Right. Uh, so, but, but again, masterful performances by Francis McDormand and David Strathairn to, to blend in. So, so well with those actors, really, really good movie. Do you have any, uh, anything else you want to add Cody, uh, on Nomadland? No, I would I would definitely just say it's one of those more accessible movies now being on Hulu. And if you, if you get the time, you know, in preparation, just like we're preparing, I would highly recommend watching this one as well because it is absolutely uh, it's worthy. So on that note, letterbox roundup. I will still sit again, didn't actually finish rating this until the end because I still was unsure. But I, I'm sitting firmly on my four stars and it sits just, you know, above the gentleman in my rankings on all my right. letterbox. <laughs> all right. That's all that matters. Uh, uh, I don't know. I got to actually look at the list again and stuff and then and, and see where it actually is going to land. It probably will land right about there. So, uh, but yeah, four okay. out of five stars. 
a very uh, worthy movie and a good movie. So, yep, four and a half out of five for me. I think this is a slight step up from the writer for Chloe Jaw and uh, just outside my top ten as well. Really, the the only thing that that's taken me out of it a bit was the scene at her sister's because I just didn't think you needed it. I thought the rest of the movie is so concise and and well done. Yeah, that it could it could have done without that scene. Yeah. Um, still great movie. All right, Cody, that does it for a uh, jam-packed episode of Spinning the Reel this week. Uh, Like we said off the top, we have a few things coming up that are really exciting. You want to run through what those are? Run through. You're the one who brought them up. You run through them. Okay. Well, we've got a Raya watch party. Uh, (laughs) Raya and the Last Dragon coming to Disney+. Plus. It is uh, premium, so we are doing a little watch party uh, at your house uh, yeah. Out front, we're, we're putting a projector uh, up and we are going to to spread everyone out. We're going to try and do this. Now, I'm not throwing anyone under the bus. I'm not throwing anyone under the bus, but there's someone who is supposed to give us a projector and they lost the projector. So Evan and I has, did the most reasonable thing possible. Been on the podcast before? He may have <laughs> or not have been on an episode where we talked about the kissing booth. Regardless, <laughs> <laughs> Evan and I did the most sensible thing you could do. You know, we bought a projector. So here we are, yes. watch party. So this time. will be the first of uh, multiple watch parties, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, on top of that, like we said, the coming weeks, um, we're going to talk about Rye, of course, uh, next week. But we're also going to uh, project some of the uh, Oscar nominees. And then after that, we are going to fill out our own Oscar ballots uh, here on, on the episode. Talk through, uh, there's going to be a lot coming on that. And, and we'll let you know. With that, Cody, where can the people find us? They can find us on our socials we use the most, which would be Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we do have our Letterbox account that we still would appreciate you guys to take a look at and see all the movies, of course, that we've seen and talk about. Got a couple uh, new things coming to the website, like Evan said. Uh, a couple new things coming yep, that we want you guys. The Nomadland review <laughs> I have up. Yeah couple things that we're going to ask for your participation in uh evolving around the oscars as well i think that's right um if you're listening to us of course you already found us just keep listening to us on all those same great platforms and uh other than that i would uh that's it say just yeah stay safe keep it easy and we'll see some of you guys that are probably listening to this on we'll uh, see you down the road see you down the road bye